0: Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of The Discussion Point. Today, joining me, I have Mark Taylor. He is one of the vice principals at East London Science School and a teacher of history, philosophy and ethics. He enjoys playing and watching football and his favourite book is Plato's Republic. He completed a major study on how central London is policed when he was younger. But the focus of that study ended up making him want to teach history, philosophy and ethics. Hello, Mr. Taylor, how are you? I'm fine,
1: thank you, Bridget. Good to be here.
0: Thank you. Today we'll be discussing a wake-up call for Keir Starmer. And so, Mr. Taylor, what, <clears throat> why do you think Keir Starmer has not appealed to the working class? After all, that is who Labour is supposed to help, right? Yes, it is. Um,
1: the, the reason I think he's not appealed to the working class is because the working class is no longer what he thinks it is. So you could take the, you, you could look at what he's got to do to appeal to them, or you could think about it differently and say that what the working class is these days is no longer what it used to be. He, you know, he, the, the basic sociological definitions along the lines of education, occupation, or status give you an insight into working class uh, sort of. Uh, demographics, but that demographic has, cha- has changed significantly in the 20th and 21st centuries uh, since the foundation of the Labour Party, and it's no longer driven by the early phases of the Industrial Revolution or the peak of the Industrial Revolution in things like shipbuilding, mining and um, manufacturing production in, in factories based on the um, you know, just, um, water as a basis to produce uh, iron and steel and so on. So I think that the issue could be about Starmer not appealing, but the, the deeper issue is probably the fact that the working class is no longer what it used to be. Yeah, And yeah. uh, the question, therefore, is um, can anybody appeal to them, not least Labour? Uh, but, but at the moment, whatever that working class is, it's not voting Labour, that's clear. Mm-hmm. And that's why recent by-elections have, have gone against them. And indeed, I think even the vote in London, which is seen as solid Labour for the most part, appears to be harder to win. Uh, the recent mayoral, mayoral election did show gains for Sean Bailey um, again against Ali Khan. So I think Labour in general has probably got some kind of identity crisis and that's leading starmers uh, to look for a way to appeal to who he thinks his voters are. But I don't think they are the same as they used to be. And therefore, the issue is, uh, how do you know um, to appeal to what, whatever we call the people is these days? Can they be united around particular themes, or can Labour work out what those things might be? if they can, they've got a chance of getting that vote back. Um, if they can't, I predict that Starmer will be left to kind of trade rhetoric in Parliament with Johnson in a kind of logical sense, but that's not the same as persuasive rhetoric in the sense of Cicero in the ancient, in the days of ancient Rome, because what was at stake in that kind of rhetoric was a a kind of demand to get an audience to follow your argument. And I don't really see Starmer doing that. What I see Starmer doing is making sort of picky points about things like Johnson's decorations in his flat um, and logical points of interest, which, although technically correct, cannot be kind of uh, used to arouse the passions of the public. Um, I do feel some sympathy for him because.
2: I don't think the public or the people or the working class is what it used to be, Yeah. Um, but nevertheless
1: he doesn't look like he's really putting the work in right now to work out how he can appeal to that new working class, both geographically where
0: it's located and ideologically in terms of what it is to be interested in or not interested in. Yeah, and um, because, as you said, the demographic has changed. Uh, of the working class all over the world, actually, because in the US, Biden struggled to pick up more votes from the working class, and Trump did make gains in counties that were traditionally Democrat. Same here, Hartlepool used to be a working class county, it still is, but uh, Boris Johnson picked up one of the largest number of votes that the Hartlepool conservatives have ever seen. And so do you think that the Labour Party, Mr Taylor, has lost its originality ever since Gordon Brown became prime minister? Um, I'm not sure it
2: was original under Brown uh, in the first place, because in a way,
1: Brown was quite an unoriginal uh, thinker and in a way was kind of an... a a revised attempt of of what has always split Labour. So I've recently had a look at a book um, by a man called Gerald Radici, which is about um, the rivalry within the Labour Party in the 60s and 70s between Crossland, Jenkins and Healy. Um, Three Oxford-educated Labour Party members who could not agree on what how the Labour Party should be modernised and to me that's exactly what Brown was in a dispute with Tony Blair about before uh, Brown became Prime Minister but it looks like Labour's got this perennial problem that they they appear to split on how radical they should be in their appeal perhaps because Labour was originally founded as some sort of socialist party with at least a notionally radical agenda even revolution, according to the old Clause for debate, which is long since forgotten now. Um, and its modernising tendency, which is a, an attempt by leading thinkers in the party to try and connect with who they perceive are the new constituencies yeah. of the party. And that is the demographic point, or the the idea that the, for example, metropolitan voters or the new middle class might somehow be where Labour could get votes from. Now I think Labour has always struggled with this, but the result of that struggle between notionally enlightened thinkers, uh, in the book I'm reading, Crossland, Jenkins, and Healy, in the case of perhaps Brown versus uh, uh, Blair, the same issue. But what, what seems to come out of this is that they cannot agree. Yeah. Um, because they cannot agree on what the what Labour Party stands for or is trying to do, the the old left. Um, emerges and then kind of kind of gets a bit of leeway. It doesn't seem to be that the old left is particularly convincing in its, idea or in its ideas, it's more that the, whatever the, the ability of the Labour Party to rethink itself and be progressive from a modernist or you, you might say not really what the Labour Party is supposed to be but nevertheless there is if, if, if Labour's going to be electable it thinks it's got to appeal to the middle classes really or these middle class ideas. Now the problem is when they do that they can't seem to agree and the result is that a kind of old left outlook seems to emerge. In the case of Frost and Jenkins and Healy it led to James Callaghan emerging um, as a kind of a leader of Britain you know in decline really if we look at it realistically with a, with a few good ideas but nothing like the vision of Atlee after World War II, uh, where the great welfare state institutions were set up. I think Brown and Blair's debate, which eventually did lead to Brown becoming Prime Minister, by that time, Labour had exhausted its uh, latest political incarnation, which you have to admit, Blair marshalled pretty well, yeah. Uh, despite contradictions about things like law. Um, he certainly managed to, to progress things on education. Um, I think the result of that is, is, the, is the kind of old Labour outlook that we've just had with Corbyn, um, you know, recently losing uh, seats and, and indeed losing his own party in a way. And then you've got uh, Starmer coming in to try and somehow claw it back. But in either in either way, you're right. Labour doesn't have much originality. Um, but the, the reason for that lack of originality, to my mind, seems to be longer running, going back perhaps to the fact uh, that beyond a reformist program or welfareism, I don't know if Labour's had any other really big ideas. Mm. The other one that, that split the party in the 70s was over nationalisation. Should you roll back nationalisation and go to a privatised economic model? Uh, well, that that's certainly was exploited, but it was Thatcher that did it for the Tories. She realised that a vast majority of working class people had higher aspirations to uh, property and private ownership of um, of the means of production, as it used to be called, and she and that therefore enabled the Tories to progress for quite a long time. Obviously, Blair came back and clawed that back after major for the Tories. Um, Blair did give Labour some impetus which lasted quite a long time. But I look back at Blair and I, I, don't, think, I don't think I know exactly what stood for him. It was almost like he was a kind of a, a moderate. conservative in some of his aspects. It wasn't that radical.
2: Yeah. But I guess I'm saying that Labour has always struggled with
1: what it means to, be, to come up with an original political programme. And whatever programmes they come up with perhaps get stuck in rhetoric this is always a problem in politics, that the rhetoric doesn't match the substance. But at least under Attlee after World War II, they had substance, and they were moving away from the imperialism of the, of the British Empire, and they were going, going towards decolonisation, but who exploited that? Um, best, Macmillan, the Tory, you know, he was the one who talked about the winds of change. When I was preparing for this, I was thinking, the standout moments that you think are kind of. Socialist or at least egalitarian, often seem to have been made as much by Tories as the Labour Party. Yeah. Um, the but, but I would you know put that back on it and uh, uh, turn it around as it were. I just don't think Labour's had anything really original since Attlee, and therefore Brown came in really to try and impose some a bit more like an austerity-based approach, mm-hmm. um, which which arguably people didn't believe anyway. So. I think all of the parties are, all of the contemporary parties, they've all, they're all competing really on the same ground at the moment, therefore it's hard to say who is being original, if at all, and obviously with COVID and things like that, there is a very strong sense of the, the science and the evidence has made, has made politics very technocratic, arguably, arguably allowing for regional Trends in national politics to assert themselves more, which I think we might come on to when we look at trade, in Wales, for example, or possibly some of the trends in Scotland. But all in all, it it looks like neither side really knows what is going on with the working class vote right now. But Labour certainly isn't isn't originally enough to exploit. It. Yeah,
0: yeah, and. Uh... Your point was that um, Labour does not know who its working class is. However, Wales has a majority of working class people and Mark Drakeford has won a landslide in all of his elections that he has been First Minister. So why do you think Drakeford, out of all the other Labour leaders of the UK, has been the most successful? Yeah,
1: that's a a good question. I think some of it is his rhetorical strategy. Because if you if you think about it, there wasn't much going on substantively in politics for nearly two years now, except how do you respond to COVID? I think Drakeford benefited from the fact that the Tories in England were clearly um, mismanaging the situation in the first year. Uh, what I noticed about him is that he came on the radio approximately the same time every time he was asked to come on for example to the radio for today program which is the program most of the elite listen to in the mornings but also you know a significant amount of opinion formers and thinkers would listen and and most educated middle-class people trying to connect with worthy ideas shaping society are based would probably go to that program Admittedly, there's a whole load of other voters, possibly newer voters, that might go to different radio stations and TV stations. Um, and there's a new TV network going this week, uh, run by Andrew Neil, which could, I think could change the way this is done. But go, go with where we are. Drakeford came on at the same time every day that he was on. And he just spoke in a really calm and kind of intellectual style. Um, without saying much of, of a great deal of substance, I think he just provided a reassuring voice that, I have to admit, despite the lack of passion, did appeal to the Welsh and gave them a sense of consistency in their leadership. And somehow it, it creates it seems to have created a different setup for Labour in Wales than we've got in England, where the, the Labour Party just seems to have been completely unable to know what to do. Yeah. in regards to COVID, except to kind of trail the Tories, pick them up on bits that they thought were getting wrong, but then agree with them. That they just don't seem to have been able to forge to forge their own political voice. Now, I don't know why, whether Drakeford has got the benefit of the fact that Labour has always been strong in Wales, or the Tories have always been weak, and therefore his voice came across as quite clearly... Having legitimacy of his own electorate, which he's then exploited again. Um, But substantively, I'm not sure what he did actually say. So it does lead me to think that at least his rhetorical approach, consistent voice, talking common sense, as most people would understand it, and being cautious, but not too cautious. Well, Starmer didn't seem to do that. Now, obviously, Starmer's role was more to be the leader of the opposition, Drakeford was in power and is in power, so maybe that that different platform explains some of it. I can't say that I'm sure Drakeford has got significantly better ideas than anybody else. I just feel like his presence and the way he's uh, set himself up in a technocratic context, by which I mean there is no great political battle of ideas going around him, in that context he's come across as a winner. Yeah. Fair play to him, I guess. Yeah. I would say. And plus the other guy sorry, I was gonna, well you might mention it. I guess the other guy to consider is Burnham yeah. in Manchester. But maybe you'll ask me about that.
0: Yeah. And plus Mark Drakeford has a lot of charisma and he appeals to the people better yeah. than Keir Stam has, as is quite clearly seen in the Hartley I election. I agree, I agree it appeals better.
1: I'm not sure he's got charisma.
0: But if he doesn't have charisma, then he can't appeal to the people, can he, because...
1: Well, there you go. So I don't know, because Attlee, after World War II, I don't think Attlee had charisma at all. Um, and it, it shows you, actually, that it might not be about as much about the leader as we want it to be. Um, you could argue that Attlee was the least charismatic leader of the 20th century, perhaps perhaps maybe Ramsay MacDonald wasn't a great shot earlier, but um, Attlee just came up with substantive political programs at a time when Churchill was posing as the warfare leader. Attlee came along as the welfare leader and seems to have, you know, got the vote after the war when you would have expected Churchill to kind of reap benefit of winning that war. And it obviously is the case that the people... Do have to be ready to hear a particular message, and I, I'm not sure it's all about charisma. I, in some ways, I wish it was because I don't think Drakeford is that charismatic. Kind of but what I think, therefore, if you look at Atlee and look at Drakeford, I just think the he's given he's given a consistent message. He's not really had to say anything substantive. I mean, you might argue with me on that, but the message has been follow the science, do the right thing, and we're not going to be as stupid as they are doing it in England. Well, on that basis, Drakeford doesn't need charisma. What he needs is a consistent message and a weak opposition. And I, I, I think the, as Adam Price, I believe we, we've considered him, um, has not provided a significant opposition to him yeah. from the Welsh nationalist standpoint either. That's made Drakeford look maybe more charismatic than he is, in, in my view. I don't really know substantively that he is charismatic. And so I don't
0: think that is the key. Because I've always compared Drakeford to Bill Clinton. Because Clinton... No,
1: you cannot do that. You cannot do that.
0: Because Clinton um, appealed to the people after economic recession. He made the economy yeah. quite good. He yeah. had a good health care policies. And, I mean, Wales follows the NHS system as well. So... Yeah. The healthcare side for Drakeford take, but I think Drakeford has what it takes to continue to be the first minister of of Wales and keep getting large margins in whatever he stands to do because, uh, Clinton won both elections by a landslide, both times and appealed to the audience. He brought down high level political. Thinking to uh, low class work, to working class uh, appeal, and I think the same can be said for Mark Drakeford because not many people now understand the the significance of the conservatives and the labors in the current political field, and Drakeford has brought it down to a working class appeal sort of method, which is why I compare him to Bill Clinton.
1: I mean, that's a brave attempt. I think um, you, you're right on some of the economic background, although obviously the USA is huge compared to Wales. I think the, the, the thing in um, American politics that I've noticed is there's a similar, uh, as you alluded to, there's a similar change in what the working class is, um, both in terms of its identity immigration patterns and um, the industrialization and so on. But in my reading up on American politics, it looks like you will get elected if you put the groundwork in. I think Obama did this and Clinton also did it because they put the serious work in with the local, as many local areas that they knew they needed to. Mm. Um, They did, they put big teams in there they got the message round by the mobile phone that so there was going to be meetings and there was going to be discussions, and I think that's how you you've got to put the legwork in to win those seats. That bit I agree is probably the same in England, and I, I, I think that in, for example, in London, I didn't sense that the Labour Party was putting the work in in the recent mayoral election, whereas I did feel that the Tories at least knocked on the door and said, "What do you think?" And I think in American politics, Trump is, is widely perceived as having that touch that got him elected. But I think the serious groundwork was done by Clinton and Obama in a way that um, people haven't acknowledged. So I think that's made them think that Trump is, has got more of an appeal than he might than he have to this new sort of populist right. But I still think, if we're talking about where Labour goes in England, And you're looking for lessons to learn. To me, Clinton and Obama did put the work in on the ground with the communities that they thought that they needed to win. I'm not sure Trump did that.
0: No, he didn't. Uh, Trump, again, used almost a
1: provocative rhetorical strategy. And I don't think he's a particularly, um, well, energetic politician as such. You Mm -hmm. know, just Mm -hmm. tweeting seems to be the basis of much of his strategy
2: yeah. and
1: I don't think, I mean that, you could say that maybe got him in for one term but it obviously didn't get him in for two. Um, I think Clinton and Obama both managed to do better than that because their long term vote winning strategy was superior and I think there could be lessons for that,
0: from that in, in England as well and in Wales. Yeah. Um you were talking about Obama appealing to the communities. Yes, he was a good public speaker, he appealed to the audience, but what he did in his 8 years of office did not match what the other presidents have done because he did way less than than um other presidents. He did less than Clinton, he did less than um he did less than Bush he did less than Bush senior and Bush junior. I mean, Donald Trump literally did nothing. He is as divisive as Andy Burnham, and mm-hmm. um, so Obama didn't really do much, and yet managed yeah, to appeal to the audience well, he, he for took out eight years. Bin
1: Laden, which was seen as a success, um, but I think I agree with you. He he didn't actually have as much substance as we might like, although. I don't know, because it was funny that one, because Trump was arguing that he did more to create racial equality, you know, economically, than Obama did, but at least I think Obama did stand for something in terms of racial politics and probably thought he had achieved something substantive, at least by getting to the presidency. Yeah. I think you might be right that I, I can't name any significant
2: other factors, and I'm, and I presumably, again. You're
1: right, that's one of the reasons Trump won um, when he did, which which was to kind of pick up the idea that the American economy was in decline and Obama had not addressed that. Yeah. Um, whether Trump really addressed it, I don't know, but it looks like his more nationalistic style, which again was, has been reflected across Europe, um, possibly did win him some votes and possibly did create jobs, although the USA, remember, is... In a lucky position of being both a national economy and an international economy at the same time, mm. whereas Britain is a national economy, it it has a strong international element, but it's not itself a continent. So geographically, Britain is quite limited, I think, in what it can offer. Although the legacy of its empire means that it does have an incredibly big international
0: reach in terms of financial services. Yeah, but in um,
1: but again, I I think Britain. Again, with Brexit, for example, is in a similar position of how. what is the best way to exploit that. And again, coming back to Labour, it, it looks again like they obviously lost that argument. What are they going to do next is going to be a tricky one for them because I think they don't know how many people are
2: um, in agreement with Brexit, as it were. Mm. But Brexit is the reality.
1: Um, the other thing that could happen, of course, is that the union itself could be challenged, so Welsh and Scottish nationalism could now emerge as as, as a legacy of Brexit, the of Britain, and that would again require a different sort of politics. Yeah. Will Labour choose to go with that uh, in a nationalistic sense, or will they stand against it in a more cosmopolitan outlook, such as I think
2: Burnham is trying to do in Manchester?
0: Yeah, and um back to Bill Clinton. Let's compare uh, Clinton and Starmer.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Starmer was supposed to represent the new face of Labour as Clinton was supposed to represent the new face of the Democrats. and Clearly, Clinton was successful while uh, Starmer wasn't. And yeah. Keir Starmer, right now, Britain's economy has been in decline and has been going down even more due to the pandemic. But in 1992 when the economy wasn't yeah. strong clinton comes along and boosts it to such a high level that in 2001 uh george w bush inherits one of the most the one of the strongest economies that uh america had seen in its history and so who i'd like say,
1: who did you say inherited that uh
0: bush seen, bush junior yeah because Clinton had, had had such strong economic policies and had a good cabinet that helped get him through the eight years and, and helped make the economy better, helped made, uh infrastructure better. Because from 1992 to 2001, America was going through this sort of transition period from the 20th century to the 21st century. And Clinton transitioned America really, really well. From coming out of the 21st and into coming out from the 20th and into the new century, which here in terms of COVID, Starmer is not really helping uh, his stronghold voters understand the effects that COVID has had properly and is not helping them by not holding Boris Johnson accountable to what he has done. And so, I'd like you. Uh, Mr. Taylor, to to give the audience an even more in depth analysis.
1: So, uh, what what's the key point you want me to address? That why Starmer is is not able to exploit what what you think he's got. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you and you were saying that,
0: um, Clinton did did create something to exploit for Bush. Yeah, because at least Clinton's uh, presidency had some sort of substance to it. Yeah. Uh, but Keir Starmer's leadership uh, for about... Yeah. He's been Labour leader for about a year and a, yeah. and a couple right. of months now. Hasn't really shown Britain that Labour has any substance to it. Yeah. And so... Okay, so... Yeah, yeah so it's, it's difficult to compare him with Clinton. He Clinton has power. Um, Starmer hasn't got it.
1: So... Yeah, I I think that uh, Starmer's approach at the moment is 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 already intellectually limited, and he seems to have based his approach on uh, a logical strategy of almost legalistically um, unpicking the statements of Johnson in Parliament, which in the early days. I think scared Johnson and impressed the British media. But pretty quickly, um, people realise that you logic is only useful uh destructively, as it were. You you've got to have something constructive to say as well. Hmm. Yeah. And I do not believe that Starmer has got a clear, constructive political message or programme with which to persuade the British people that he's got something to offer or at least a section of them that he's got a real um offer that they they should have a stake in and vote for now why why that is i think it does go back to the the long rather sorry history of the labor party and it's constant splits between a kind of um radical sense of social injustice and a more um progressive sense of working with capitalism. And um has kind of gone for neither of those. And it just seems to be picking up the words that Johnson uses and pointing out where the contradictions are. And I just don't think it's a, sta- a sustainable strategy. Yeah. And I certainly don't think it convinces anybody of what you could do to transform their lives for the better. And the reason, you know, the, the example we have. Was the northern votes in the recent um by elections where where labor's lost it you know to, to the tourism they're wondering why because the traditional labor seats are going conservative it doesn't seem that labor has got um a rhetorical strategy in addition to its logical strategy and the reason it hasn't got a rhetorical strategy is probably because it no longer knows what it substantively is and the reason it doesn't know what it substantively is, is because it no longer knows what the working class is. And um, the working class, such as it is today, has got an incredible range of different perspectives driving it, meaning that the voters could go any number of ways um, that, that Labour appears unable to harness. So pessimistically, I might say that Starmer is presiding over a really long-term decline. And it got, appears to have no answer to that. Yeah. Um, I
2: don't know if that can be compared to Clinton or
1: Obama or even you know the, the Labour Party's own history like Blair. What what we when we did some preparation for this talk, you and I, we we considered Burnham. Burnham in Manchester, who kind of suffered a bit in under Blair, uh didn't get the leadership of the party went in went in for regional politics which is now the mayor of manchester Probably different approach to Starmer, but uh, but if labor's going to survive it looks like burnham's strategy which is a kind of uh, boosterism for his region yeah. that, that's a very typical american strategy by the way of, for places like los angeles or, or atlanta you get a really powerful mayor articulating why the people of that area need to get more than the rest of the nation hmm. so it gives a gives a, a mayor or a socialist politician in some form like burnham a mouthpiece that to say that, they, that their people in of the city or the region are going to be defended by that politician
2: yeah and that allows them i think to transcend the differences of labor
1: and Tory or or Green or whatever it is, and try to, to create a political strategy that would unite a city or a region around the idea that the leader believes in the city's um, status in the country and wants to elevate it. And if you're in a city like Manchester, which has got a sufficient industrial and cultural background, is not a complete backwater. I think Burnham's strategy might be. The right one, both for Manchester, but also for, say, a future Prime Minister, Mm. because he's got his teeth into what Manchester needs. He's very annoying (laughs) when he comes on the the radio and TV. He appears to have this, um, you know, when when someone really believes that they're right and nothing you can do can persuade them. He does seem to come across like Manchester is in in his blood. No, I don't think it is in his blood he's divisive. But I do think he's got a belief in what he's doing. And it, even if I'm being cynical and saying I'm not sure he really is there for Manchester forever, he certainly seems to have been more effective at communicating than Starmer. And of course, he's, he's communicating about something of substance, which is the actual city of Manchester, and how it can be enabled to compete with the elite in London. So as a political strategy and a rhetorical strategy, it's obviously far superior to the destructive and logical strategy of Obama, which appears to have no goal other than to destroy what Johnson is saying. So, Burnham certainly seems to have come across in a more positive way. I don't know if he's got what it takes, long run, but I think he might have a sense of where this could really go from. And that actually, by the way, is similar to Obama, who cut his teeth on community politics in Chicago, largely influenced by his wife, by the way. He yeah. had the connections that he didn't, but he then got his teeth into local politics in Chicago and managed to move out
2: the established black leadership and come across as a new candidate with a new rhetorical
1: strategy. Yeah. Don't forget Obama had a great liberal arts education that helped him uh, come across as an intellectual who, who was able to be in touch with the people as well. I think that model, and if we look at Burnham, might just be the way forward and actually I think of Burnham more as a leader than I do of Drakeford. I certainly think of him more as a leader than I do of um, Salih Khan at the moment, who doesn't seem to say anything other than, you know, we need to have health and safety measures or, you know, there's no inspiration in that. I do think Burnham might have found a way to at least give himself the vehicle to have a wider political influence.
0: Yeah. And the Evening Standard of the 7th of June 2021 has said, quote, poll blow for Starmer as voters favor Burnham as future PM. Keir yeah. Starmer's ratings have plunged to the same low level as Jeremy Corbyn's at the same stage of his leadership, an exclusive yeah. poll reveals today. The Ipsos-Marie Research also showed that Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham is seen by the public and by Labour's own supporters as a better potential Prime Minister than Keir. London Mayor Sadiq Khan also trails behind Mr Burnham as a would-be PM. Among Labour supporters, less than half, 48%, think Keir has what it takes. But 59% of Labour supporters think Mr Burnham has it. And this is building upon your point that You've said uh, Burnham at least has some sort of substance and has a workable plan for Manchester that could be applied nationally, which puts him on the better standing for Prime Minister than, than Starmer or Khan, and I've read Khan's manifesto when he was running for election on the Super Thursday, 6th of May. And it literally just said, jobs, 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 uh, low crime and safer London. That's it. That's literally all it said and it said, vote Sadiq Khan. And it didn't really have much to it. It didn't tell the public as to what Khan wanted to really do for London. And But Burnham's manifesto gave the public a clear idea as to what he has to do for Greater Manchester to make that the British hotspot. And this can be scaled to the Hartlepool-Westminster by-election, where former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn performed better than zakir in Hartlepool. Election results in 2017 show that former MP for Hartlepool Mike Hill managed to secure a Labour MP seat with a majority of 18.3, which... Uh, is similar to burnham although burnham won by a 67.3 percent margin but mike hill had a workable plan for hartleypool that at the time his conservative opponent didn't and then along comes keir starmer who lost hartleypool <clears throat> by 23.2 percent margin to the conservatives i personally was shocked when the result was announced simply because hartleypool was a labor stronghold from 1974 to 2021, that's 47 years. And could you please tell the audience as to how this by-election result affects uh, Keir Starmer's chance of winning in 2024 and would it boost Andy Burnham even more to the desired prime minister seat? Yes, right. So, well,
1: that's very well uh, researched. Thank you, Mr. I mean, the, maybe the only limitation on that research is that it talked about personalities, or as we said earlier, charisma, without the background. But but as we already discussed, the background, I do think that um, Burnham was basing his approach on something of substance, i.e., Manchester. Car's uh, weird in a way because <laughs> you would think London. We give we give him the substance he needs, but arguably London may is too diverse, too big to actually have a boosterist strategy. Um, in fact, you're always kind of operating with where London is failing. Um, and then that, then you get to Starmer. So don't forget, Starmer's a bit odd because he's already been knighted, you know, from when he was the director of public prosecutions.
0: Oh, yes yes.
1: And I find it very ironic that uh, the leader of a socialist party would be a knight of the realm, you know, to serve. It seems to be almost a contradiction, well, actually a pretty big one. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it, but it, it does appear that Starmer is, is ill-fitted to the role of connecting with the working classes, both personally, um, because of his knighthood, and then also sociologically, because he's his biologics and strategy, as it were, as you just revealed, um, seems to have been a series of miscalculations based on the fact that he, he has not thought about how he can best get uh, his own MPs mm-hmm. to themselves win the basic seats. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're looking at it really you know, long-term, it isn't really about him. It is about him as a leader. Yeah. Now, as a leader, he needs to get those seats by Cardiff. Paul and, and what would be the reason not to do it? Now, it's true that you can't rely on the fact that Hartlepool is the old Pool with the old demographics. Yeah. Uh, it just isn't the same thing, but it looks like he wasn't able to articulate another strategy um, that would seriously connect with whoever the voters are these days. And the result of that is that he's left nitpicking in Parliament on questions of logic and actually not leading his own MPs to develop a, a strategy that could win. Now, the, the, the difficult question is, which is why this is a good podcast, I think, we, I don't think
2: we've got the answer, but we're, we're getting into what we might have to do. Yeah.
1: Is that Burnham seems to have a ready-made object, uh, Manchester, which he knows can is going to give him political life. A by-election in a declining industrial town in the northeast is a really tough one to know what you would do. I almost feel some sympathy for Starmer and Labour. So it's alright, I could say he's not led his own team to victory there, or he doesn't know what to do apart from attacking the logic of Johnson, but I don't know what I myself would do in a northern, a declining northern town with limited political aspirations at the moment. Now, again, we could romanticise the poor and say of course they want uh, strong leadership um, from the, maybe from the leadership in London or they all want just jobs, uh, as you said earlier, You know, is that the strategy they've got? But I'm not sure that even just saying jobs anymore is actually enough to inspire people in those towns to to vote Labour or to vote Tory. You, you could be in a permanent situation, yeah. actually, where there's just vote, you know, uh, seat switching um, between between towns that have no clear fixed identity because, again, it's not clear whether they've got a solid working class that's going to grow up with middle-class aspirational values, believe in education, civil society, and so on, or it's going to be a kind of permanently uh, mobile working class with which is divided over questions of race, gender, equality, or <coughs> working for you know a latest global factory that's got a supply-side economics deal to locate near them and has got low-paid jobs, but they're just jobs. Uh, How are you going to get a political strategy to get those voters to go for you? You, Even unionisation, which used to work, you know, get people to unionise, that will give you a sense of collective identity, and then you would normally vote Labour. That doesn't appear to be working either, and the unions don't seem to have the same status. I think that we've got to face a serious question of, of whether those towns can survive, economically um, in a way that would sustain a serious vote, um, that, would, that would make them uh, go for Labour or they're going to they're sustain some new kind of politics and maybe that is the answer and that the time has come for Labour to reconfigure itself or disintegrate. Um, that, I, I don't know, that could be what's going on, that could be a new regionalism driven from Scotland for example Um, that could break the union in some way and and leave us with, say, London, Manchester, Scotland, perhaps Liverpool, the North East would be based on Newcastle. It could be that we don't get the same sense of unified national politics that we used to have, and that therefore the political parties that express that or represent it are themselves reconfigured. Um, You could trace it all back to, to Brexit and UKIP and so on, but it's not clear what that will look like i guess the point i'm getting at though is i do not i'm not sure Starmer is intellectually equipped mm. to deal with it i don't think he's rhetorically equipped to deal with it and i'm not sure therefore that politically he could develop a program that could win yeah. um, enough seats in the margins to sustain him as a, as a leader as a leader of the country
0: yeah And with Sadiq Khan, I want to compare him to two other people who aren't British, one being Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, and Mm -hmm. the other being uh, US Senator of Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. And first to Warren, she is of the Democrat Party. She's for raising the minimum wage, providing good uh, working conditions for the public and so in a way more or less she is a socialist of she's part of the socialist group of the democrat party and she had won massachusetts by quite a large margin and massachusetts is quite uh, progressive however it is tough being a especially in massachusetts because they are a bit reserved being a woman in massachusetts she had won one of the highest number of votes that A woman has ever won in the US Senate. And she and Merkel are the polar opposites of Sadiq Khan, I would personally say, because when Warren ran for president against Joe Biden and Sanders and Harris, she had a good climate change plan, a good economic plan because of COVID. The economy across the world has had a huge crash. And she also had extremely, extremely good Equality plans in terms of racial equality, in terms of uh, LGBT rights, in terms of animal welfare, and all of that. And Merkel, she is also of the left party in Germany, the Christian Democratic Union, and she has been chancellor for the last fifteen years, and which clearly shows that she has been doing something correct, and she has appealed to the Germans, and same with Warren, she appealed to the people of Massachusetts but Khan on the other hand having yes the capital city of the UK of the UK has still not got his political agenda through and in a way is not strong enough to hold off the conservatives to to prevent london from conservative clutch anytime soon because the conservatives if you uh, looked at the mayoral election in London, they gained seats like picking yeah. cherries off a tree. They gained it so quickly and so well. And I was, I mean, I don't personally like the Conservatives, but I was impressed with Sean Bailey's techniques of picking traditionally Labour seats in London, yeah. which shows that Khan is not in a way suited politically, economically and sociologically to do the job of mayor we compare him to Andy Burnham Andy Burnham yes he is divisive and yes he some people call him cunning in a way but he does have the place that he is supposed to serve even though some say that he doesn't truly have greater Manchester at heart but he has done what he was elected to do same with Warren same I mean Massachusetts wasn't really put on the US map as a powerful state in until Warren became senator. Because as another senator, Ed Markey, he has been senator for longer than Warren, because Warren has one of the least political experience in the Democrat Party, because she used to be a law professor in Harvard. And yet has given Massachusetts the the required the required political reform that it needs to put itself ...on the US map as a state that has a strong voice. Because normally you think California, Texas and Florida... ...and maybe occasionally Illinois, Pennsylvania New York. But apart from that, you don't really consider other states. But then Massachusetts has become more and more powerful. same with Germany. And yes, Germany is the most powerful country in Europe... ...economically and in terms of the military. But on the international stage... Germany wasn't really considered to be a team player until Merkel came along. She made Germany more of a union to make it more adapting, which Khan lacks. And so can you please, well, Mr. Taylor, weigh in as to why Khan lacks these, but people who have a larger audience that they have to serve are still much more successful than he is
1: yeah so you've got a range of issues there. i mean you could have even mentioned thatcher another woman who was successful yeah um and and what what are the reasons for that is a is a, is a tricky one to get to
2: i think america is a very regionalized country so particular places like massachusetts or California
1: they do seem to have a, a kind of um, split in terms of politics which is probably quite understandable sociologically um, places like Atlanta are developing and creating new working classes but they're all almost as big as a nation in themselves yeah so that they you're right that a, a state in in the states can give a politician leverage nationally, or at least contest them out, and I guess that's a bit like the Burnham model. It is interesting um, that Khan doesn't appear to have been able to reap the benefits of London,
2: Mm.
1: and one can only assume maybe he doesn't have uh, a broader political ambition, or he can't see how he can transcend London and go national. Yeah, And that one's a bit of a mystery to me, but, but then again maybe it isn't that one could be a question of personality. You would think London would give him the platform after all it gave Johnson the platform. Yeah. Um, Merkel's interesting because again she's not
0: really seen as that charismatic. She's seen as effective. Um, she's yes, utilitarian. Come, she's she's yeah. quite utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pro- pragmatic. Um, progressive on
2: general social values. Yeah. Um and been in power for a long
1: time. I, I almost think Germany's got a very interesting regional structure, whereby I think there are very strong regions economically. Hmm. Um, and then the, what I noticed during Covid is that she had to go and broker deals with the regions. It was almost like the regions didn't lose their power. But I, I never sensed that Johnson had to do that with the regions here. Uh, It was like, almost like Britain was much more centralist than we maybe imagined. Um, We assume France
2: is very centralised with Paris and so on, but we tend to think Britain has got a bit
1: more of a regional development going on, but obviously what's going on at the moment shows you it is still a very centralised country. I think Germany isn't, and therefore Merkel, you could argue I think, has got a legitimacy throughout the state because of her, the fact that she has to check in with the various regions and their power brokers in order to maintain the economy. And she appears to have done that very well. I mean, you, there is a darker question here, which is, is the political leader representative of the economics uh, or leading the economics? And some theorists believe that the political leader is kind of merely the symbol of the economics underneath that. And I guess if Germany is currently the most stable and powerful economic entity in the EU, you could argue that Merkel suits that very well. There hasn't been a need any to pressure politics in Germany, and yeah. even the transition to the new leader has been handled very smoothly. Yeah. It's almost like politics is a technique in Germany at the moment, uh, whereas politics is, I think, potentially always a bit more rough and tumble in the UK. Um, because we don't seem actually as settled in some ways, although people might argue we are a very settled and civilised country overall. But it always feels like there's a bit of an edge to England that things could break down quite easily. I don't get that sense from Germany, although I would need to know more about it to give a definitive answer. But I'm not sure it's about Merkel's political skills, so much as her bureaucratic management of the election strategy she's had. And maintaining good relations with the region, and then you know, Warren is rather similar in the states, um, and that does leave, again, Sadiq Khan looking a bit exposed in comparison. Mm, yeah. Um, but it's almost like London should should have been a great opportunity for for the mayor, and it should be a great platform for national politics in the UK, but somehow it isn't. People have yeah. almost forgotten what London is politically. Yeah. Or they just see it as, you know, the Westminster Village, where you, you know, the MPs still come down from the regions, yeah. which is probably what it should be. I just think it's not clear what London is, and that could be the fault of the mayor at the moment, but I'm not 100% sure. I think the London economy is very complex, and that's yeah. difficult to work out as well, how that would look, if not, yeah.
0: And uh, I'd like to thank... Uh, mr taylor for joining and helping me on today's podcast it was it was a massive help and thank you once again and thank you to the audience for listening see you next time goodbye